radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 68, recorded on Friday, July 22nd from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we find out that Jason's a hardcore socialist who wants socialist medicine. I do, comrade. And we're going to talk about why we support it. But first, the headlines. It's called improv. <laughs> Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. So let's start off with the latest and finale of the January 6th hearings for now. For now, the season finale. The season finale. The summer finale. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It's the eighth hearing of the January 6th hearings. I watched the whole thing, and I think my wife wants hazard pay. for having to watch it but then i told her that it actually costs us money to do this <laughs> and that we don't make any money and and then i think she got a little bit more upset oh are the divorce papers coming in yet or <laughs> what i don't think we're quite there yet. oh okay good this was only the first january 6th hearing you made her watch so if it right. was more than that then we've had some <laughs> issues but this hearing focused on trump's inaction during the events of january 6th itself and some of the weird things that happened around it and actually it, it was kind of a startling hearing overall i think compared to some of the others because it goes back to the day itself and it really showed how terrified a lot of the people who were in control of security really were at that day. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you felt about that, but that's kind of like a main gist that I got. Some of the strongest moments for sure when they were playing the the Pence Secret Service like radio chatter yeah. and they were uh, had people testifying saying like, yeah, there were people basically saying goodbye to their families because they thought they were about to be overwhelmed and killed yeah. by a literal lynch mob. It's pretty terrifying (laughs) set loose by the president right and what this hearing was really trying to highlight is that not only did he not do anything to quell the rioting but he actually did not do anything but that he wanted it to happen yes he did and that he didn't say anything until it was clear that they weren't going to be able to kill mike pence and hang him like they were chanting and they weren't able to get their hands on people like Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the people that that lynch mob would have murdered in the United States Capitol building. They would have killed multiple sitting members of Congress and the vice president on the orders of the president. So let's dive into some of the testimony that happened last night. We heard from Keith Kellogg, Pence's national security advisor, who was also with Trump that day, and he testified that he never heard the former president ask for the National Guard or for any law enforcement response at all. I just, I found it kind of funny that we have a General Milley and a General Kellogg. Because <laughs> that's what you focused on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't include anything from General Milley in here because, I don't know, I feel like we've heard a lot about how upset he was already, but th- did you hear anything that was like super new or different from him? No, it, it was more of the same of, you know, where did the communication com- come from? Did you talk to the president? No, it all came from the vice president, Mike right. Pence. One thing I think is interesting in this, Mike Pence would be an extremely strong candidate right now for president 
president in 2024 if all the Trump supporters didn't hate him. Yeah. Because he really gets painted in a good light. Well, he's like a hero this. in this whole thing. Is hearing. that he took charge and he, you know, coordinated all this stuff yeah. and he did the right thing and he, the one thing that he wouldn't back down from Trump on. And you can tell a lot of the people they had testifying, that was the point where they broke ranks, right? The right. Sarah Matthews that they had, like, she got really upset when it was clear that Trump basically wanted Mike Pence to die. That when he sent out that tweet saying that Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what he needed to do, that that was it. Like, she had it all. You could tell she has a lot of respect for Mike Pence. And it seemed like she wasn't the only one. Right. And I think it's funny that, like, the Republicans could have this very strong candidate for president. Who who could actually run as, like, a uniter. So, even right. He's a hardcore conservative right. Christian. He's actually a true believer, unlike Donald Trump, who just does right. it to get votes. Mike Pence is really the guy who believes that abortion is murder and, and all the Christian nationalism stuff that the Republicans are pushing. Trump just goes along with it. Right. But they could use him. Like, he could be this extremely strong candidate, but their base is too loaded with the Trump circus, and those people think that he's a traitor. Yeah, I agree. And I have actually a little bit of a testimony from Sarah Matthews here, where she said she spoke to White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany during the riot, where McEnany said, and I quote, looked directly at me and in a hushed tone shared with me the president did not want to include any sort of mention of peace in a tweet they were crafting. So like you said before, he explicitly won this too. And we're going to get into the outtakes of his January 7th speech in a bit, but you can hear from the overall tone of that Trump has that he's like just begrudgingly doing this over and over again. He's trying to take out as much as he possibly can so he can get away with it. And there was a tweet from the House GOP Twitter account during this testimony calling Sarah Matthews a liar. Oh, great. I didn't even see about that. And they had they actually took it down after there was a lot of pushback because she works in the, the House GOP still and she has a lot of friends there. And I guess a lot of people were upset that this account, I forgot, they know who runs it. It's it's one of the, the House GOP members. I can't remember her name. Okay. But they were upset at that tweet. Like, you're you're turning, again, on one of our own. Right. Just because they won't buy into this lie that we're trying to peddle well, when it comes to the election. It's cult-like at the end of the day. That's the problem, is that if you're not with us, you're against us. That's the mentality. So let's talk about this series of outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> that we got during the hearing. I enjoyed this. Something very unnerving. Donald Trump just staring into the camera <laughs> and like bobbing back and forth oddly like now, he does. Okay, like in his defense as much as possible, you edit me. <laughs> <laughs> I fully understand what outtakes are and I fully comprehend how hard it can be to say what you want to say, especially when you're trying to literally read something in front of you that should be very simple to read. But for some reason, all the letters get weird and jumbled up somehow and no i'm not dyslexic i'm just stupid <laughs> well and especially when it's in someone else's words sure so i get it but man <laughs> 
for someone who claims to be a very stable genius. Oh, now the quote that you're supposed to pay attention to in this whole like montage is when they're trying to go through stuff, he's trying to say his script or whatever it is. And then he says that the election is over and we need to move on and be peaceful with it. And he immediately cuts himself off and say, I don't want to say the election is over. And this is from the day after this is from January yes. 7th. Right. So that's like the one you should be paying attention to the most is that he explicitly said, I do not want to say the election is over because he knows that the election is not over in his mind. And you can hear because it's Ivanka that's talking yeah. <laughs> to him. And you can hear she just wants to walk over and slap him in the face. Well, and actually that's what I was going to talk about as well is I'm not hearing a lot about how Ivanka is literally right there trying to coach her own dad to not destroy the country. And it, it literally sounds like it's like an, a scene from The Office, but like in the worst possible scenario like ever where it's like, let's do The Office, but you know, in the most apocalyptic nuclear war scenario. Now go, Michael, do your crazy shenanigans type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And I don't really feel that bad for Ivanka because she's a terrible person at the end of the day. You know, who made hundreds of millions of dollars right, but off of her dad's presidency. But I, uh, I can, Hunter Biden's I could just laptop. Fe- right. <laughs> but I could just feel the animosity she had for her dad while that was going on. Yeah, you could tell she was very frustrated. But the quote that I liked the most, I think that a lot of people latched <laughs> on to, was, yesterday is a very hard word for me. Can we take it out? <laughs> yep, he can't say yesterday. Yesterday is a very words. hard word, man. Very stable genius. Oh. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen. And it's one thing to get caught up on a word or the way multiple words might play together, and especially if that's not in your normal speech pattern. Right. But to say something like, yesterday is a hard word for me, with (laughs) zero self-awareness, like you're calling yourself kind of (laughs) stupid. Uh Oh my goodness. Then they also talked about Kevin McCarthy and specifically a call that McCarthy had with Donald Trump on the day of the events. Apparently McCarthy was having a hard time getting a hold of Trump. I guess there was like just a lot of things going on. We already heard about the text messages and the begging from like Fox News panelists and a bunch of other people trying to get people to talk to Trump and McCarthy was one of those people. And this is the House Minority Leader. Yes, thank you. So they had a witness testimony talk about the phone call McCarthy he had with Trump. And the quotes that really stuck out were, and this is McCarthy starting, you've got to call these people off. Trump responds saying, these aren't my people. These are Antifa. McCarthy says, no, these are your people. They literally just came through my office windows and my staff is running for cover. But this is the same Kevin McCarthy that defends Trump today to, to this day. Literally, he tried to throw misinformation and just basically poison the well on this entire investigation before he even started, like minutes before they held a press conference where he's like, this was just a Democratic witch hunt. Nothing really good can come from this. This is all bad, blah, 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 whatever it is. Right, he downplays the severity yeah. of the actual events on all January the time. 6th when he himself was terrified for his own life in the middle of it, what? very clearly. And literally, his own staff were running for their lives. <laughs> My God. And and he's willing to sell them out for his position within the Republican Party. What are your thoughts on Trump literally believing that it was actually Antifa attacking the Capitol? Trump lies constantly that's the one thing we definitely learned from his presidency but he's also crazy i don't think that he ever believed that this was antifa he was there we heard he was planning this he worked with rudy giuliani who worked with these militia groups this is not there is no way i would ever accept that he felt these were not his supporters doing what he wanted them to do so you're telling me that he was basically like cowering like a little kid he was lying is what he was doing yeah and i'm 
sure that was going to be his cover story if the worst came to pass. If all of these people that we were talking about had literally been killed. He was just going to push Antifa all day long. Right. And that's, I literally heard that from people that I know while it was happening. Oh, but these aren't Trump supporters. How do we know? This is all Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Well, because we saw it on Fox News. I did entire school projects on the fact that Fox News was calling it Antifa. And there, there's still misinformation to this day if you look up. Yeah. People saying, oh, this, this guy's an, actually, he was an FBI agent. And then you look into it, no. No, he he's not. <laughs> he's just a crazy dude. And hardcore Trump fan. That's the one thing all these people have in common. They it's, really were who they said they are. And on the same topic of scared for their lives, running for their lives even. <laughs> running very oddly. Running very <laughs> oddly and awkwardly for their lives. Straight up and down without like moving their legs outside of the frame of their body somehow. <laughs> he runs like a marionette. The January 6th committee took a very fun shot at Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, who is just, uh, we've talked about him before. He's another one of these crazy MAGA asshats, and he just can't seem to do anything moral in his life. You also may have seen a picture of him from January 6th before all the events really started happening, where the protesters were and rioters were basically around the Capitol as they're speaking, and Josh Hawley was walking by, and he like raised his fist up in the air, you know, like, power to you. You guys are solidarity with solidarity he looks like less plastic jared kushner yeah basically so the january 6th hearing basically talks about how he did this they got an interview from i think it was like a security officer or someone from the capitol police who witnessed them do that and she was livid by it because that he was able to do that because he was in a safe space because of the capitol police even though he was basically undermining them at the same time and then immediately they cut the video saying that he had to run away himself and shows the video from a security cam of him just running and waltzing away <laughs> in terror. And then they had it in slow motion, yeah. too, which was the best. <laughs> Just to really rub it in. And you couldn't hear from the original recording of like the hearing. But there were people who actually took like video from out back in the room. And you could hear audible laughter. Mm-hmm. In a congressional hearing, you could hear audible laughter of like all these people just laughing at. Because it was hilarious. Because it was absolutely. And again, like this was probably the funniest thing that ever happened in like in a congressional hearing ever. <laughs> but and now like if, I will include an article. But then all this Twitter got a hold of it. And now they're putting into like every bit of music you can imagine. Like I saw like the Benny fire yeah like the benny hill theme and Mm -hmm. oh it's beautiful i love it screw josh holly he's terrible but to end this on like a more serious note jason i want to ask you now that season one (laughs) is over i don't know what do you think this did did it do anything did it accomplish what you wanted to accomplish was it better than what you expected we're basically doing like a season review here right we're we're like the film critics or whatever but like most importantly did it actually sway anybody you think it did i think they need kind of a recap or a way to explain like they had a very good overall assessment of the situation right they broke down each individual thing leading up to it to show the larger narrative i think their narrative was very good but i think they do need to kind of recap that larger narrative and and kind of bring it all together sure um which they didn't really i was expecting them to do well i love that in a cliffhanger man yeah keeping on the edge of your seat you don't know what's gonna happen next season and everyone thought this was going to be the final hearing but it was announced right before that there were going to be additional hearings in september right so i'll reserve full judgment until then but yeah they're making the case that this was a criminal conspiracy to overthrow the presidential election 
action, and they showed you everyone who was involved, how they did it, and why they did it. And they made it very clear that it was not based on any anything that you could even reasonably call evidence. It was all just a lie to keep Donald Trump in office. That was it. Well, and I think the who was probably the most important part. You had Republicans leading most of these hearings. Obviously, Liz Cheney was the main one for a lot of it. And that was done on purpose, right? This was supposed to be intentionally bipartisan and that this was not a Democratic witch hunt like Kevin McCarthy loves to say. But then you saw like, all the witnesses were Republicans. All of them were in these areas of power that were right next to the president for a lot of these things. And I think in that case, it definitely kept a credibility around it where this is something that Republicans cannot ignore, if that makes sense. They cannot dismiss it as like just nothing. They cannot cover it. They cannot talk about it. But there's no good way of dismissing it if someone actually challenges them on it. Fox News once again did not well, no, they play can't. the hearing. Because you can't argue against it. That's the problem. And they did such a good job at crafting that narrative to make sure that you could not do that. My only concern is what's this actually going to do? It, it needs to do something. Right. If this if this amounts to nothing, what are we doing here? Right. It'll you know, be seen as a giant waste of time, which is what it would be oh, if right. nothing comes out of it. You know, like when Liz Cheney was kind of giving her like ending remarks, it was like, well, obviously like, Trump can't be trusted in any type of seat in like elected office again running this nation, right? We can't let this happen, right? There's, I know that I know she's talking to the DOJ with mm-hmm. that, but there has to be something to be done with this. If there's nothing to be done, why are we doing any of this? Because we already know that most of the conservative base do not care. I think a lot of moderates, even Republican moderates, are now saying that, yeah, there were issues with the election, but I just I can't stand thinking about Trump anymore. And they, they are actually like making Trump's reputation diminished, which is good. That's what we want. But nothing's actually getting done. So what are we doing? I don't know. It would create. A, a big credibility issue with the Department of Justice if they no charges to any of the people that were actually behind this, any of the people that crafted this lie, those people that were in that meeting that resulted in that giant fight and shouting match with uh, Pat Cipollone. Right. If nothing happens to any of those people, then yeah, the, it's once again just shows how our justice system is absolutely broken. That the people that fall for the lie that don't have millions of dollars and all this political power are the ones that go to jail. Meanwhile, Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani and uh, the Overstock.com guy (laughs) and Sidney Powell and Donald Trump himself, the mastermind of this entire criminal organization, just get away with it. And it's already happened with Donald Trump before his lawyer, Michael Cohen, went to jail for using campaign finances to pay off Stormy Daniels. Right. And who told him to do that? He didn't come up with that by himself, but Donald Trump got away scot-free from that, which makes no sense. And it can't keep happening. Isn't it crazy that no one even thinks about that anymore? And it's just another example. For, for those who can't see, Jason is just like bowing his head, <laughs> just like shaking it. And he's just like, he just can't handle the reality right now. This is the country we live in. <laughs> and, you know, oh, the greatest country in the world. Yeah. 
<laughs> USA. <laughs> USA. So let's move on to another story and show about how- This again, is still going on. This is still literally going on. <laughs> now, technically, this is actually kind of older news, and I kind of wish I heard about this before. So forgive me for not bringing this up before, but I just heard it on NPR, and I want to make sure that this was talked about in here. There are people who are currently going door to door right now, harassing people to make sure to see who they voted for how they've actually cast their ballot, what they're doing, trying to find more election fraud in our system. So you have crazed conspiracy theorists creating grassroots movements during campaign season who are just going and sowing more doubt and confusion in election results, basically. And a lot of this comes from actually Colorado, of all places, not a state we usually talk about on this show. Except usually when Lauren Boebert. Well, yeah. Every state has their dark spots. <laughs> I understand, Colorado. Don't worry. We still love We you. have Ron Johnson. Yeah, right. We got a lot of people we should be talking about. (laughs) A lot of the narrative was talking about a Colorado org called the U.S. Election Integrity Plan, where they were going door to door, calling for integrity and transparency. Their founder, Sean Smith, who was also a big Jan 6 supporter and all that fun stuff, of course, right, was actually on tape saying, and I quote, I think if you're involved in election fraud, then you deserve to hang. And then immediately qualified that by saying, well, sometimes the old ways are the best ways. I was accused of endorsing violence. I'm not endorsing violence. I'm saying when you put your hand on a hot stove, you get burned. Great guy. Real, real, real winner with this guy, right? Yeah. When you put your, if someone forces your hand on a hot stove, <laughs> then, then you get burned. But I'm not endorsing violence. And someone who was contacted by some of these canvassers said, and I just put the quote in here. His specific questions were, did you vote by mail-in ballot? How many times have you voted? He wanted to know who I voted for, who I supported, how do I know that it wasn't charged or changed, and a lot of it was targeted at the clerk and recorder's office and that I was told it was fraudulent. So just spreading complete lies yeah, and also intimidating voters. Well, not just the voters, but the clerks themselves, because now you're having people constantly calling and I think- Right, I just had somebody from the government here telling me that my vote was changed. Literally. And that's what's talking about in the article as well, where they're just saying, yeah, we've received thousands of calls because people are all around the state saying, why is my vote changed? I'm like, it wasn't. What are you talking about? Well, someone from your office said it was. Nope, not my office. Right. So this is crazy. And there was like, supplemental articles about how people like Sean Smith and others like Mike Lindell and all the others are going on tour around the country, creating these grassroots groups to do this exact thing all around the country. I would not be surprised we're going to see that type of stuff in Wisconsin this year, especially after the 2022 midterms. Now, the happy part about this is that they're currently being sued. Um, Voting rights groups in Colorado are currently suing the, what was it? The US EIP, whatever the hell they want to call themselves. I don't care. Claiming that it's actually voter intimidation and not transparency, integrity, whatever they want to call it is, which I would I'd agree. You're literally intimidating voters to tell them who you're voting for to make sure that you have some weird idea that your vote was actually cast for who you think it was. So let's talk about a bill that recently passed the house good news i call this good news good news good enough news well we'll get to that it it might actually be good news unlike 99 percent of the bills that pass the house that are doomed to not even be brought up in the senate (laughs) due to the filibuster but this is the bill to codify same-sex marriage and the bill passed 267 to 157 and it included 47 republicans wow that's crazy. Which is still, you know, not mentioning the 157 <laughs> who all voted no were all also Republicans. But? But we did have one Republican from Wisconsin 
Who brain voted, yes. steel. Brain steel. Brain steel. Did I rate brain instead of Brian? Brian, brain, whatever. <laughs> uh, style. My former representative, your current representative. No, I got I got Fitzgerald. I don't have oh, you, you do have him now, again? Okay, if, so. If I, did, if I didn't move, okay. I would have had Brian oh, Style. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, was my representative until the horrible gerrymandered maps came out. And now, unfortunately, we both have Scott Fitzgerald, who voted no. Yep. And he is a horrible mega douchebag who came out of the Wisconsin House Assembly. We always talk about how bad those gerrymandered maps were 10 years ago. They were basically authored by Scott Fitzgerald. Yep. But let's talk about Brian Stile. He voted yes. He's a Republican. Good guy. He's basically Adam Kinzinger. You know, he's, <laughs> he's just awesome. He's a really true down-to-earth dude, right? Is that what we think? Is is he defending... He's an, he's basically an ally, man. He Right. He's defending gay men marriage because yeah. he wants to take a moral stand uh even though it might be in the minority of his party he's what you would call woke all right <laughs> um brian style is definitely pretty woke or is it maybe that because he got redistricted he is actually in a tougher district now and has to appeal more to moderates and centrists yeah maybe in order to get reelected. and maybe. this is one way to do it and you know the vote's gonna pass anyway so you can be strategic about your votes and i'm guessing if we looked at every single one of those 47 House Republicans, you might find some that are just moderates or for whatever reason support same-sex marriage. They have someone in their family, they themselves, that would benefit from codifying same-sex marriage. But I also bet that you would find that the majority of them took a strategic vote because they know that same-sex marriage is supported in their communities and they're trying to protect Well, I think it has like a, like a 70-75% approval rate as of like 2021 or something like that so it's pretty well accepted nowadays which because to not be a bigot right it does not hate other people and speaking of that there's actually a decent chance that this will actually pass the senate filibuster as well because of that exact mentality even ron johnson said that he wouldn't yeah. vote against it who uh totally not related again is, super woke ally is, is man he's the best showing behind in some polls already for his his re-election campaign coming up in November. You might as well say he's from California, dude. He's like <laughs> the best ever. <laughs> so yes, this has some some odd support. Tom Tillis said that he would vote for it. Oh, okay. And the Senate, uh, Susan Collins, of course, Lisa Murkowski. It does seem like they might have enough votes to not get filibustered, which well, is... So that wasn't 10, so... Right, we're not quite <laughs> at 10, but they, apparently, I, I haven't talked to everyone on the Senate, but there are people that have, and they say they think they have the votes. Now, does that mean somebody might not change their mind? Who knows? These things have a way of, of doing that, but we'll see when it comes up. Now, one person, one senator who will not be voting for it is Marco Rubio, who, in while being questioned by a CNN reporter while he was getting on an elevator, called it a stupid waste of time. One of the other people on that elevator was our other Wisconsin senator and polar opposite to Ron Johnson, Tammy Baldwin, also known as the first, first gay, <laughs> openly gay senator in the United States. Yep. So she, as you might imagine, um, was a little 
pissed. Yeah, took exception to the defense of her marriage being called a stupid waste of time. And she apparently had a not terribly pleasant conversation with Marco Rubio on that elevator. She I want that audio. Not really getting into that many details of I want that audio. What exactly she said, what Marco said in response. Uh, but like I, I said it. before, I would like to have seen when the elevator opened, uh, Marco Rubio just you know, cowering, cowering on the fear. floor. <laughs> yeah. And Tammy Baldwin with her shoe off standing over him. That's what I would expect to have seen, but who knows. And why does he call it a stupid waste of time? And he's not the only one. You had Mitt Romney also saying that he thought it was a waste of time. Because why would you have to vote to make a law on something that's already legal? Oh yeah, I'm sure this super anti-gay Mormon (laughs) has a super nuanced view on this bill. Showing once again why Mitt Romney is a horrible person, and just because he doesn't like Trump, that doesn't mean we should think any better of him. So, that's their defense, the thing that you'll hear a lot, and that was Marco Rubio's response as well, when asked, is, it's already law, we're just wasting our time by creating legislation that's completely unnecessary. Yeah, because, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I I mean, I I don't I don't remember a single time in our history where we actually had something that could have actually been overruled where we should have made a law to protect some rights. I can't think of a single thing that the Supreme Court overturned super like existing precedent. And also that the Supreme Court seems to constantly direct Congress to make specific legislation for every single thing so that they can't just strip your rights away. And that, of course, brings us back to what we talked about with Clarence Thomas saying that the Supreme Court needed to look at Obergefell, which is the case that gave us gay marriage or same-sex marriage, and saying that he felt that it was a mistake and it was an error that needed to be corrected. And just this last week, Ted Cruz echoed those same statements uh, from his podcast. He looks like mashed potatoes. Who does a podcast? Dork. Uh, we have a quote, Obergefell, like I, Roe v. Wade. Wait, I, I'm more interested in who listens to Ted Cruz <laughs> than the fact that Ted, I'm sure like Ted Cruz would make a podcast. That that makes total sense to me. I'm more concerned about people who listen to his podcast. Uh, a lot of big Ted Cruz fans out there. I don't know. His mom. <laughs> I always heard that uh, he was the least popular person in the Senate. So I'm I don't sure know. he is. He's a, he's a loser, man. But his quote is, Obergefell, like Roe v. Wade, ignored two centuries of our nation's history. Marriage was always an issue that was left to the states. We saw states before Obergefell. Some states were moving to allow gay marriage. Other states were moving to allow civil partnerships. There were different standards that the states were adopting. <laughs> oh. These are literally the same arguments that could be made to bring back slavery. I was literally just going to say the exact same thing. Like, then what's the point of having a Supreme Court? Then what's the point of having a United States of America? Why do we have federal law at this point why does he have his job i it drives me absolutely insane when you see half of our country arguing for the fact that they should not have a job well that's that's the republican dream right oh man so clearly your your rights to be able to get married should definitely depend on which state you live in that's stupid it is stupid and that's ted cruz stupid (laughs) 
And speaking of stupid, Golden State Warriors star Andrew Wiggins says he regrets getting the vaccine so he could play. As a former Minnesota Timberwolf. That's Andrew Wiggins. I believe that's where he played the majority of his career. No one cares. <laughs> but yeah, he is known as kind of a weird science denier, very much along the lines of Kyrie Irving, who, as we know, didn't get vaccinated. But Andrew Wiggins basically says he was coerced into getting the vaccine. He didn't have a choice. Well, it's because of their vaccine mandate in California. Right, that he had no choice that it was either don't play basketball or get vaccinated. Oh, which man. Which is actually a choice. Like, that is a choice, right? Like, if it's... A th- you have to decide between two things. They're like, I didn't have a choice. They made me decide between two things. So I have a quote from him here saying, I still wish I didn't get vaccinated, to be honest with you. I did it, and I was an all-star this year and a champion. Keep in mind, they won the NBA championship. Oh, my God. So that was the good part. Just not missing out on the year, the best year of my career, which is true. It was probably one of the better years of Andrew Wiggins' career. It was his only all-star appearance. Right. But for my body, I just don't like putting all that stuff in my body. <laughs> all so, that stuff. All that stuff. So I didn't like that. And I didn't like that it wasn't my choice. I didn't like that it was either get this or don't play. Not his choice. And I'm so... The reason why I put this in here, Jason, is because I am getting so sick and fed up of people who have so much influence over millions of people of our country. Yeah, can you imagine being, being a Packer this- fan now with Aaron Rodgers? Ugh. Ugh. Don't remind me. But it, that's exactly <laughs> not like, uh, you know, vaccine uh, supporter Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Out, outspoken pro-vaxxer <laughs> doing doing Johns Hopkins videos. And <laughs> it's the only thing I'll miss about Mike Zimmer is the fact that he absolutely hated Kirk Cousins. <laughs> but it's just this is just another example of people who and again, I am all for letting athletes speak publicly. They have earned their platforms. They have a right to speak freely. I'm so sick of people saying you know the whole shut up and dribble right i i hate that but man be less stupid please be responsible oh my god with your platform get educated don't just spout nonsense that you don't know anything about and it drives me even crazier that he has no good reason for he's like i just don't be putting that stuff in my body what stuff it's a fact you you don't have any vaccines in you are you are you serious right now because i'm sure you have something in you when you're a kid right well the thing is it's not there anymore neither is the covid vaccine vaccine you might have antibodies still left over from getting the vaccine but that's it but even then he has no reason to even be upset about it nothing no nothing happened to him he had no adverse effects at all he didn't get covid and it worked played the best he's ever played in his life that's the that's how it works man what are you doing not necessarily that you'll have the best year of your career (laughs) i don't think that's a side effect of the covid vaccine man i wish (laughs) maybe that's how we get people like to say hey you suck at sports you want to Stop sucking at sports. It's like sterile. We'll just put steroids in the vaccine. (laughs) But And that's also a good reminder that the COVID pandemic is not over. No. That cases are rising everywhere. You're constantly hearing about people catching it. Well, it's because of the new wave right now. Yeah, the the new variants, which is more uh, transmissible and less affected by the vaccines. We just had in the hearing that we talked about, January 6th hearing, the chairman, Benny Thompson, was remote because he had tested positive. Joe Biden, the president, tested positive for COVID. It is definitely spreading right now. And we need 
need to be careful again. I know we're all sick of it, right? Oh, it's over. We can't. You cannot tell a virus that you're just sick of being cautious, that you're sick of protecting yourself and those around you, those that you have contact with. You can't just be like, it's been enough. It's been two years. Come on now, knock it off. It's not how it works, unfortunately. Well, I think what concerns me even more is that now when you're seeing health professionals talk about the new COVID strain, no one cares. Not at all. Right. In fact, they openly mock people who say, well, you're just fear-mongering with some more. Like, you couldn't milk COVID enough for you? And that's what scares the crap out of me the most, is that they, when they should actually be paying attention, they don't have to go crazy. Like, we're not locking down or anything like that. And we, all, we fully understand that. But the fact that we are mocking people because they are health professionals who are warning against warning us against these types of pandemics in the future terrifies me. No, oh, we'll see. The next the next major pandemic will just wipe out the entire planet. <sighs> No big loss, unfortunately. Man, which really upsets me. Oh, well. Let's talk about healthcare, shall we? Let's stay S- in the healthcare. Since we're going to get sick from this pandemic, let's talk about healthcare. <laughs> that was really a pr- productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. So this is a topic that we've had on our list to cover for a while. We did. And we're finally getting to it. Let's talk about universal health care, one of the biggest pieces of the progressive platform over the last 10 years. Yeah, or so. I mean, since Bernie, at least. So what is universal health care, or as generally it's known in the United States, Medicare for all? That's what the bill that was proposed by Bernie Sanders was named. The Medicare system is our public health system. Currently, you're on it automatically after age 65 and that's why it's named medicare for all is they want to put all americans on the medicare system so why do we need it what's the big deal i thought everybody loved their doctor and loved to have all the choice that you have yeah because that's what we hear for, all the time for your healthcare provider and and we will tell you specifically who comes up with that specific narrative as well well here's a list and and you kind of talked about earlier you know usa 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 is number one We're not number one in education. We're not number one in life expectancy. We're not number one in happiness. We're not number one in per capita income. We're not number one in manufacturing. We're not number one in science. There's one thing that America is still number one at. Prison population. That that as well. (laughs) There are two things. (laughs) And also, of course, uh, shooting deaths. So there's a few things. There are three things. still number one in we should just have that for an episode there's one thing (laughs) well except this there are two things we'll accept this well there are three things and just keep doing that for like 30 minutes oh i'm sure that'll be enjoyable oh we'll put on tiktok it'd be great but we'll go with the the top 10 healthcare costs per person by country for 2022 top 10 all right we already gave it away that uh the u.s is gonna be pretty high on this list but uh let's let's see where everyone else is at best healthcare system in the world i'm ready number 10 is ireland at $5,836 per person. Our neighbor to the north, Canada, $5,905 per person. The Netherlands, $6,190. Sweden, $6,262. Denmark, $6,384 per person. Austria, $6,693. Norway, $7,065. It's getting up there. And these a lot of these are uh, the Nordic countries. 
Yeah. Switzerland, $7,179. And number two, Germany, $7,383. Now, Germany does have a mostly private system it, that it, is heavily regulated. Yeah, it's, I mean, so when I was looking at stuff actually for this, I was looking more into Germany's healthcare system. It's it's a public system that's done through private insurers. Insurers. Yeah, like multiple private insurers. It's probably the closest to the United States when it comes to how it's set up, but it's also the closest to the United States in cost right? as well. And it's still, it's at $7,383. That's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot, man. That'd be pretty crazy to beat that. We have number one, the gold medal first place, the United States at $12,318 per person, which would bring us to $4.1 trillion overall in healthcare costs in a single year in the United States. Ugh. And another nice statistic, uh, 9.2% of Americans do not have health insurance. The global average for comparable countries through the rest of the world, 0.2%. And I, I want to make something very clear as well. Um, while also learning about Germany's healthcare system, they are the second most costly per person. They also cover 100% of their residents. Right. We have a 40, 41 times more Americans don't have health insurance compared to the average yeah, I think for the rest of the industrialized world. And that would be about 28 million people. That are uninsured. Yes. In the United States. And that's, of course, most of those would be under 65 yep. because of Medicare. And then I found a couple other things that I want to talk about. So like, okay, fine. Well, we, you can't compare the United States to other countries because we're such a bigger country than others, right? I'm sure you've heard that before. So another good way of comparing healthcare systems is actually through percentage of gross domestic product or GDP. And shocker, we are number one again in this category where we spend at least 18.8% of our GDP on healthcare alone. That's almost one fifth of our GDP is spent just on our own healthcare. The next highest are Canada and Germany with 12.9 and 12.8%. And we have a much lower standard of care, unfortunately. And the big thing we should probably be talking about is the reason why it's so high for our percentage of GDP is when you look at the data even further, the public spending between countries is actually pretty similar. We actually spend fairly the same amounts as Germany, Canada, France, UK on our basic things like Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, everything you can think of, right? All of that surplus, like that actually like six to 8% that we spend on our GDP growth is all our private sector. So our bloat is basically from the free market. Hey, free market forces, capitalism. So, okay, so maybe we just go way more than other people. You know, we, we, we have such a good healthcare system compared to the rest of the world. We go and see our doctors way more than ours. You have to wait in line forever if you want to go to Canada, right? That's what you hear. That's what I keep hearing. The United States actually ranks 30th in the world for the number of doctor consultations per year. The U.S. averaged about four doctor consultations per person per Per year, which is way lower than places like Korea, Japan, Hungary, Germany, which ranges anywhere from 9.5 to 16.6 doctor visits per year. So I want to make this very clear. We'll, we'll take Germany just as a comparable, you know, I mean, heck, we can even use Canada, who use, which is about 6.8 per year. But for Germany, they have 9.9 doctor visits average per year. That means they more than double our consultations. They cover 100% of their citizens. And they pay nearly half of what we pay for in the United States for healthcare. And they're the second highest in the world.
the world. Yes. And that also is one of the reasons why, as we'll get into it a little bit here in a second, but that's one of the reasons why our healthcare costs are so high is because people go to the doctor so infrequently because of the cost to themselves and they miss a lot of the routine care that they should be getting. Yes. And we end up with like treating more emergencies versus it's like, you know, well, it, it's a proactive health care. You right. have reactive health care and you only actually do something when something's seriously wrong, which costs you a lot more money because you're doing surgeries. You're doing all the things that are much more expensive and later because you didn't take care of it when it was tiny. It'd be like if you never do routine maintenance, oil changes, anything in your car and you just drove it until something broke until and the then you took fried. it into a mechanic. Yeah. You need a new engine. And yeah, you'd be paying a lot more for car maintenance doing that versus doing regular maintenance over time. And it's the same thing with our bodies. So it all goes back to our private healthcare system, which is gouging us like crazy for healthcare costs. And if you don't, you don't need to take our word for it. I have an article here called The World's Costliest Healthcare, and it breaks down the three biggest reasons for our healthcare costs, according to David Cutler. This was published in Harvard Magazine. The article is in the May-June of 2020. Clearly a Bernie bro, right? (laughs) And David Cutler is the Eckstein Professor of Applied Economics in the Faculty of Arts and Sciences and Professor in the Department of Global Health and Population at the School of Public Health and a faculty member at the Harvard Kennedy School. Again, super libs. Yeah, don't don't trust Harvard. Right. If you read the article, he's very like noncommittal as to what the solution to this might be. But I think he does at least express the reason why costs are so high pretty well. The first reason he gives are administrative costs. And the quote from that section of the article is, the largest component of higher U.S. medical spending is the cost of healthcare administration. Makes About sense to me. one third of healthcare dollars spent in the United States pays for administration. That's over a trillion dollars. Whole occupations exist in the U.S. medical care that are found nowhere else in the world, from medical record coding to claims submission specialists. I've heard that we have entire departments at hospitals dedicated to just figuring out what's going on with insurance all the time that other countries don't even dream of having. There's no need. Because there's absolutely no need. The second reason, greed and price gouging. What a shocker. Right. Greed is the second part of excessive health spending. The U.S. list price for insurance insulin is 10 times higher than that in Canada. And in in this article, talks a lot about Canada, and in the article he brought up, it's a fairly well-known story, I've heard it before, of a young man in Minnesota who had diabetes, and I think he was like 22 years old, who could not afford insulin. Oh, so he was rationing? So yeah, he was rationing and ended up dying from an easily treated condition that there's no reason that he had to die except for greed. Yep. And we hear that all the time. And the article goes on to say, but pharmaceutical are not the whole story. Prestigious hospitals charge multiple times what less prestigious hospitals do for the same services. While that may be justified in the case of complex surgery, and I, I'd argue it's probably not, it, you have a usually a set procedure, right, that's accepted for sure. whatever treatments. That's what you have to do. You can do yeah. it or you not do it. Yes, right. some surgeons are going to be more skilled, but they don't necessarily work at the more prestigious, expensive hospitals. But he says it surely 
really is not justified for an, something like an x-ray. Well, and I think something with this as well is that we need to talk about the price differences among peoples where based on our private insurance systems, who knows what you're actually going to be paying based on what insurance you actually have. And that's another problem too. Like when we talk about people who have good health insurance, they legitimately have way better health insurance than people who have crappier health insurance. That is a huge health disparity that we have in this country as we speak. And what's even worse is that because all these people are competing for like lower prices against health insurance companies, they don't have big enough buying power to lower these prices. So the less insurance you have, the higher that you're going to have to pay, which means people who are just poor and can't afford really, really nice health insurance or who don't have, you know, really wealthy connections to get something like that. Well, or don't have the right job is usually what it boils down to. Right. And even worse is that if you're not insured at all, we talked about 28 million Americans are not insured right now. And the third reason is what we were just talking about. <laughs> Expensive imaging services favored over routine care. The reason for the disparity between high-tech and routine care is not hard to ferret out. Ferret out? That's what it's, that's what he wrote. I don't like that. <laughs> I write, you guys, and I never heard that. Ferret out. What? Like uh, ferrets go into rabbit holes and pull the rabbits out and stuff, so you ferret it out. Cardiac surgery and MRIs, famously lucrative, are overprovided, but no one is paid to make sure hypertensive patients take their medications. So he's basically saying the services that are the most profitable are being overprescribed. Yeah. Whereas, like we said before, all of the routine care that would keep you healthier and make your costs be lower are not incentivized because we're in, unfortunately, a profit-based system. So those three things combined are the leading causes of why our healthcare system is so expensive in the United States. And it's not just expensive in dollars. When you have this system that is so expensive that people are reticent to go for care when they need it, and when things like a global pandemic spring up, especially when the initial symptoms of such a virus would be fairly minor, like a flu, cough, sore throat, weakness, you're not going to want to go to the hospital immediately when you can't afford it. And I have a study from penas.org penas penas <laughs> so yes it is from penas the proceedings of the national academy of sciences really should have thought about that name but <laughs> fine or p-n-a-s i'm sure as they say it nope i'm sure someone's got a toddler you realize you work for penas right <laughs> yes i know i get it it's like the same people who also named uranus it's like you know you named it uranus right well that's you know it was a god first so they still had blame the greeks they, had, <laughs> they still had to name it that <laughs> It's not Uranus's fault. <laughs> can can we move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're good. We're doing great. <laughs> Sorry, back to Pinas. Back to Pinas. The big Pinas. This is a study that examines data from the start of the pandemic until about mid-March. Okay. And it states that the that if we had universal health care, we could have saved more than 330,000 lives during COVID. Jesus. The study's lead author is Allison Galvani, director of the Center for Infectious Disease Modeling and Analysis at the Yale School of Public Health. She studied at Oxford and she's 45 years old. It's very depressing. <laughs> A quote from her in this article, or in this study, is, healthcare reform is long overdue in the U.S. Americans are needlessly losing their lives and money. 
So not only does it state that if people would have had health insurance that they know they weren't going to have to pay these huge co-pays or end up with a bill in the tens of thousands of dollars at the end of lengthy hospital stays, not only would they have saved lives, but the U.S. could have also saved around $105.6 billion in healthcare costs associated with hospitalizations. And she estimated that annual savings, even in a non-pandemic year, would be around $438 billion with a universal healthcare system. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I would say that that's on, on a somewhat, when we're talking about $4.1 trillion yeah. overall as their cost, saying that we could save $0.4 billion, $0.4 trillion, $400 billion is somewhat on the lower end of what I've seen. Yeah, I've seen actually some estimates that are higher too. I mean, this was back during the... I mean, it seems like, like and it is a huge amount of money but with the giant pool of money that we're already paying it's really not it's it's significant and something that really means a lot to me that i wish people paid way more attention to is that medicare for all or universal health care whatever you want to have for any type of single payer system would significantly impact small businesses and self-employed workers so i don't know about you jason but i had to deal with this myself personally for several different instances number one is i actually tried to get a couple different jobs at small businesses. I like working for small businesses. I think it's enjoyable. And I physically had to turn down jobs because they could not offer health insurance to me, which to me, that sounds insane. And it's because they're like, we want to, we just don't have the capital and the workers to do it yet. Well, as myself, and I work for a larger business and I've, this is two in a row now, larger billion dollar businesses that use contract labor so that they don't have to give health care yeah. to their employees. Currently I'm on my my wife's health care. So, and that's absolutely insane to me. When I was self-employed or also a contract worker, I also had to get my own health insurance through the ACA. Now, granted, at least the ACA is way better than what we had before. I want to make that very clear. Well, without the public option that we don't have in Wisconsin, because we had a Republican governor and the legislature took that power to be able to put us on the public option away from the governor yep. once Scott Walker lost the election, yep. which should have been illegal, but we we also have a Republican Supreme Court, unfortunately. Who doesn't care? Because of that, our costs are actually higher. Going through the ACA is basically, you can see all of the options, but you're still paying, depending on your salary, oh, yeah. you're still basically paying for it yourself. Oh yeah, it was rough. Mm-hmm. I it's did, very expensive. I looked. <laughs> I, I did not like paying mm-hmm. that much money for my health insurance. So we need to understand that while it will also save people tons of money, it's going to be a huge burden lifted from our small businesses that actually helps them compete with larger businesses. And that's where another big issue is right now, where hell, we're dealing with a big labor issue in this country as we speak, because well, we just came from a pandemic and people are not able to find as many employers as they used to have, especially in smaller businesses that cannot afford to give as good of benefits as larger corporations can. And that was uh, something that they mentioned in the article we just talked about too, the study we just talked about, where the universal healthcare system would have saved over 300,000 lives. One of the main reasons was because healthcare is tied to employment our jobs yeah when the pandemic hit and a lot of places closed nine million people lost their health care yep and you're not going to go to the if you know what health care costs are you're not going to go to the hospital when you don't have health insurance right so and i have a survey that was done back in 2019 about the small business owners views on health care coverage and costs and not surprisingly their biggest concern was to provide adequate health care for their employees because it's so expensive 
expensive. Majority of them actually said to counteract their rising healthcare costs that they increased the deductibles or co-payments of their employees, making it much more costly for their employees just to keep up their healthcare costs. Right, high deductible plans, which is pretty much the standard right now, yeah. are horrible. They're, yeah. You pay 100% of the costs until you reach a ridiculous amount. Yes, literally. So the only benefit you'll get out of having insurance is you get the reduced rates that the insurance company negotiates with the hospital. And that's it. And you pay for that privilege. Yeah, it sucks. It's really bad. So as we say, not only do we pay more than any other country in the world for our healthcare, our healthcare sucks on top of it. Right. 58% of those small business owners that took that survey said they wanted Medicare for all. 34% said they strongly supported it, which I'm going to be honest, it's more than I expected. But and not to mention how much of your wages for places that do provide healthcare, they're taking that out of your wages. So you would actually benefit quite a lot if your employer didn't have to subsidize the cost of your healthcare because you could get that. And I know the government would actually have to probably try to regulate that because <laughs> no businesses are going to want to give that up to you. They're going to want to keep that as profit. Right. But that is, that's a reality. If you're, if you love your, if you think your healthcare is very good that you get from your employer, you're paying for that in reduced salaries. And that's one of the things that when we talk about salaries being so stagnant, well, because the cost of healthcare is rising at such a high rate and our healthcare is tied to our employment, that's eating a good chunk of what we could potentially be getting. So for all of your conservative friends and everybody who is super pro-business and they hate the worker because they're all super lazy, tell them that Medicare for All is one of the most pro-business stances that you could have. If you hate large corporations and that you want to help the mom and pop shops out, you want to support Medicare for All because you're going to help them compete and have an equal ground to compete in to make sure that they can actually do well and survive. And we're talking about the costs of Medicare for All. Well, an examination of 22 studies conducted from 1991 to 2018 found that every single study indicates an overall cost savings under a single-payer healthcare system. Most economists estimate that Bernie Sanders' proposed Medicare for All bill would cost around 30 to $40 trillion over a 10-year span. And that's usually what you hear on Fox News. Which it's true. 30 yeah. to 40 trillion over a 10 year span. Well, well they, they don't usually tell you over right, 10 Right. They just say that the cost would be 30 to 40 yeah. trillion dollars. And then talk about the deficit and the, you know, <laughs> how much debt we have. Well, we are already paying 4.1 trillion dollars annually for healthcare. So over 10 years, that's 41 trillion. It's already more. And that cost is expected to rise to over 6 trillion dollars within 10 years. So if we get in the lower end of that, the 30 to 34 trillion dollars over 10 years, that might be a savings of half yeah. of what our overall spending is going to be within that 10 years. Well, I think what we just looked at was around $8.1 trillion over 10 years, that same 10-year span. And this would also mean that coverage is guaranteed for every single American. And under the Medicare for All bill, it would have included vision and dental. You know, like Germany. So why... Is it such an extreme or thought of as such an extreme thing among politicians? It's not among the American people. Among the American people, like we just talked about, and small business owners as well, it's very popular. It's one of the most popular proposals that we've seen. Next to same-sex marriage. But why is it still called such a fringe, extreme idea among not only Republicans, but a lot of Democrats as well? Well, the problem is healthcare in the United States is extremely 
exceptionally profitable. Health insurance industry profits rose from $22 billion in 2019 to $31 billion in 2020. And that is per the National Association of Insurance Commissioners annual report. Now, a lot of hospitals have had a lot of problems with the pandemic. A lot of smaller hospitals have really struggled, haven't been able to turn a profit, have had a lot of labor shortages, have had issues with the cost of COVID patients. COVID patients tend to be in the hospital for a lot longer, those types of things. But even with all of that, seven of the most profitable hospital systems, so these aren't necessarily individual hospitals, these are networks of hospitals, some as much as like 120 hospitals, I think, in the largest one. But seven of the most profitable hospital systems in the country reported profits of $25.7 billion in 2021. Oh my God. So even with hospital profits being down for a lot of hospitals, the most profitable ones are still making ridiculous profits. And then probably the worst offender of this triumvirate of healthcare is the pharmaceutical industry. Their profits were $1.4 trillion in 2021. And we don't even have time to get into the fact that a lot of that comes from COVID vaccinations and the government subsidized developing those vaccines in the first place. And then gave the profits away. Right. And then then turn around and let them pocket record profits without any compensation. And the U.S. accounts for 48% of the global market, which is insane. Well, right. And one thing that I really want to hammer home. So you said, why was it so hard, especially for Democrats to get behind this? One thing that I wish more people paid attention to was unions. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my labor unions. They're awesome. I've been in unions myself, not labor union, but in a union. They're definitely necessary. I push them as much as I can. I've seen what happens when they don't have unions. We see Act 10 in Wisconsin, what happened with that. However, you need to understand the power unions have in disrupting the conversation of Medicare for All or single-payer healthcare systems. We saw the blow that Bernie Sanders took in 2020. Oh gosh, it was like a food service union or something like that, where like 60,000 people voted against Bernie Sanders because they didn't want them to take away their healthcare plans. You saw Amy Klobuchar talk about how it was so bad because people are have would have to give away their hard-earned health care that they you know worked so hard for. This is all because it's union-backed support. And unions are the biggest reasons why a lot of Democrats don't want to go for Medicare for all. Even when I worked on campaigns and I was filling out union endorsement applications, they were explicitly saying, do you or do you not agree that you will support a you know universal healthcare system? Because if you don't, it's going to take away, or if you do, it will take away all of our stuff that we worked for and blah, 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 we can't have that. So even my super progressive candidate that I helped out had to say she was not going to go for Medicare for all because she would not get any union support, which is a huge factor in most of Democratic circles. So we really need to pay attention about how unions are crushing this debate right now and basically destroying any progress we have, which I would also have to argue is against their own interest. The only reason why they're doing it is because they are worried that they were going to lose leverage with their employers, right? That's the biggest reason why unions are doing it. But because that they're worried about losing their own leverage, they are screwing everyone, including themselves over and giving themselves worse health care in the process. And where 
are those talking points coming from? That, oh, you're going to lose the health care that you love. You're going to have to get a new doctor. All of that. I have a couple options. Well, it's really all coming from one place. Fox News. This was a direct response to the popularity of Bernie Sanders' campaign in 2016. And he started to get a lot of momentum behind his campaign in 2017. That's when you started seeing a lot of the newer faces, the the squad, as they've been come to call, the more progressive candidates winning races, and they are on board with Medicare for All. It's not just Bernie Sanders anymore. There's actually a movement starting. In response to that, in the summer of 2018 trade groups representing the three groups that we just talked about with these billions and billions of dollars in profit hospitals insurance companies and pharmaceutical makers banded together to form the partnership for america's healthcare future their slogan is build on what's working in healthcare and fix what's broken not start over oh there you sounds go sounds exactly like what you just said that you were hearing from these unions yep some of the other talking points on their website Healthcare decisions should be made by patients and their doctors, not politicians. They also cite the Mercatus Institute 2018 cost estimate, which was part of that earlier study we talked about. That, that showed that actually saved money. That, yes, you would be saving money, but all they tell you is that it would cost $32 trillion for a single-payer system. That's You look at their website, that's what it says. Yep. The cost of a single-payer system, $32 trillion. Big numbers. Source, Mercatus Institute. So they're citing this study. The problem, as we already mentioned, is that this is across 10 years, making it much less than what we are currently paying now. But they don't mention that part. Nope. Another big talking point on their site. Nearly 90% of Americans are covered thanks to free market and public programs working together. Well, we well, talked we, about that already. We mentioned that. <laughs> that. Yes, it's a little bit over 90%. Yeah. Again, the problem is that it's much we, lower. We got an A- <laughs> than the global average for comparable countries, and under a single-payer system, it would increase to 100%. Yep. That's why it's called Medicare for all. No, the all part. And not Medicare for the wealthy, which is the system that we have now. No other sector of the U.S. economy spends more on lobbying than the healthcare sector does, according to OpenSecrets.org. They spent $689.47 million in 2021 alone. They employ 2,626 lobbyists. Oh my goodness. 49.6%, so half of those lobbyists are former government employees. <laughs> Perfect. You talked about the pushback mostly coming from unions, from generally democratic sources that we don't expect. Well, most of those campaign contributions go to Democrats. In fact, the top three are all Democrats. The largest contributions at 2.1 million go to Chuck Schumer. New York Democrat. New York Democrat and Senator. majority leader. Yeah, for no- now at least. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, a new senator who's currently running for re-election, Raphael Warnock, out of Georgia. And number three, also a new senator running for re-election out of Arizona, Mark Kelly. So it's not just Republicans. They don't really have to lobby to Republicans because expanding government is already the big boogeyman for right. conservatives. Their whole thing is less government, less taxes. Right. And these lobbying groups know 
know. They don't need Medi- to spend money on Medicare for all means more government, more taxes. Right. And it means that the burden switches from being primarily on the lower end of the spectrum. Where we talked about the average cost being $12,000 per person. What does $12,000 mean to you if you make $250,000, $400,000 a year? Yep. Nothing. What does it mean to you if you make $36,000 a year? It's a third of your income yep. going to healthcare. So it's predominantly tilted against the lower class. Whereas if we move it to being a taxed system that tilts the other way yep. and pushes the burden more on the higher income. So they're already targeting the Republican Party anyway, and they know that their donors are the wealthy and that they're going to push against the system no matter what. Yep. So yes, if you're a lobbying group, you're going to go after Democrats. And that's why we see people like Joe Biden opposing this system. And also, I did find a very interesting side note when I was looking at the individual lobbyists that specifically that uh, Partnership for America's Healthcare Future uses. Sure. There was one name, like you said, 50% of lobbyists in the healthcare industry were former government employees. Well, a name that I kept seeing come up because they have to disclose who they are, like what their positions were. And a lot of them used to work with and for one specific senator, Max Bacchus. Okay. Or Bacchus. Whatever. He is a Democrat who was the longest serving senator in Montana history. He served from 1978 to 2014. And interestingly enough, he was the chairman on the Senate Finance Committee during the hearings on the health care bill that eventually became the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. He received over $1.8 million in contributions from health care lobbyists in 2008, the year Obama became president, and it, that health care reform was the big topic that they were working on. As the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, he had a lot of control over how those hearings went. He would not allow any testimony from supporters of a single-payer system. Mm. So he is one of the largest reasons why, in 2008, when Democrats had a majority in the House and Senate and the president, and they wanted to do health care reform, he is the main reason why a single-payer option was not even considered. Well, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people need to realize, especially about, about the Obama administration, where it, Obama's administration talks specifically, like, well, you had the trifecta, why didn't you get more done? You had enough to break the filibuster. Why didn't you get more done? It's because back then you had a lot of people who were super moderate centrist Democrats who refused to go along with any progressive ideas. The idea of same-sex marriage. Nope. Codifying abortion. Nope. It was all because of people like this who refused to work because they were trying to placate to more conservative ideals. Well, and something that will really make you sick about this. In 2017, as we're talking about healthcare sick, that's pretty good. After he retired, Max Baucus said this in an interview with the Bozeman Daily Chronicle. My personal view is we've got to start looking at single payer. Oh, screw off. (laughs) I think we should have hearings. We're getting there. Oh my god. It's going to happen. You can see the difference when you visit hospitals on either side of the border. In Montana, half a rural hospital will be dedicated to processing medical insurance claims. In Canada, just one small room is needed to verify that patients are residents. Oh my god. <laughs> so the person that is the number one reason why a single payer system was not pursued. He's a Bernie bro now. Is now pushing for a single payer system. Ugh. 
and the people that worked for him and with him are the lobbyists for the big group that pushes against universal health care. One other issue with our system, one huge issue with our system that we would all benefit greatly from if it went away is the difference in cost. So not only as we talked about the cost of the percentage of your income that you have to pay for health care, the wealthier you are, the less of a percentage of your income it is making it an afterthought versus a huge burden that could potentially bankrupt you for life at the lower end. There's also the issue that depending on the type of insurance you have, you pay a different price at the hospital, Yeah, which is ridiculous. Well, we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. A 2020 review found that insured patients paid nearly double the rate of Medicare patients across all hospital services. The Kaiser Family Foundation, which you can find at kff.org, is a nonprofit focused on national health issues, and this is their study. They also found that outpatient services were more than 2.5 times as expensive for insured patients as Medicare patients. Because again, the government has a larger bargaining power when talking to these hospitals because because they insure so many people. Correct. Which would greatly increase if we move to a single-payer system and all let the government bargain on our behalf instead of individual insurance companies. You know what Walmart does to get such low prices? Basically that, but yes. for healthcare. And that's what and Amazon does. And we're Walmart. Does. Yeah. And that's what Amazon does as well. Yes. And even more so is that costs for uninsured patients were 2.5 times more than the insured and four times more than people who are receiving Medicare. Which, again, it's just we are intentionally keeping people in a cycle of poverty over and over again. With our horrible health insurance and health care system that we pay more for and get less out of than anyone else in the world. And we have these lobbying groups telling us, no, we all love it. We all love it. Keep doing it. Yes, I represent the pharmaceutical industry that makes over a trillion dollars a year, the hospital industry that makes billions of dollars a year, and the insurance industry that also also makes billions of dollars a year but no Believe me don't let the government be in charge <laughs> And to wrap this up, if all of that wasn't problematic enough, one of the biggest obstacles to healthcare reform, which I think we needs to be talked about much more, is the philosophical slash moral ethic behind it. The debate over whether healthcare is a human right or not. Because in the United States... You only have rights up until the point where you're born. You know, I don't know if you saw any of the recent <laughs> Supreme Court decisions. Exactly, you're correct. You have rights when you're praying <laughs> and before you're born, and that's it. That's it. No more. You had nothing else. But what I really want to talk uh, about praying to jesus yeah. let's uh, yeah. <laughs> want to be specific in the right way it's even more specific than that but i really want to get or hit home with this fact that we live in a country based on a cult of individualism those aren't my words those are literal sociologist words who use it to describe american culture and we go about this idea that i have mine screw off go get yours literally but that's even more worse than that unfortunately because we also deal with racism at the end of the day where we have things called racialized attitudes and racialized policies. There was a great study that was actually done um, back, I want to believe in 2018, I want to say it was, where they looked at Obama's proposals of the ACA compared to Clinton's version and a generic version of the ACA of the same exact things, right? And they found that because Obama was black, Racial resentment grew animosity towards healthcare and healthcare recipients and immediately had this idea spawned that the majority of people
people who receive health care are black people who do not deserve health care. You still hear people complaining you, still about do. the Obama phones. Remember yes. that? That was pitched as like some kind of racial give back to his people, his community. Well, and we still hear a lot of the stuff about welfare queens as well. You know, this is going to sound probably the most woke crap you'll ever hear in your entire life. But there's a big saying in a lot of anti-racist literature and things like that about dying of whiteness. And the idea is you have majority white populations, especially in this country, who will go out of their way to harm themselves to punish minority groups that they resent. And, and that's called happens. the most of the Republican Party. Well, like, quite literally. I'm not kidding. So when we talk about health care, we can talk about costs and everything like that. I mean, and it's very sad to me that we have to talk about and frame it in such a way that it benefits the selfishness of the individual, right? If you don't talk about how it benefits them exactly, they won't care. But that's how you have to do it right now, because that's a culture we have in America, because we live in an individualist society that prioritizes, you know, the whole idea of being free to make your own mistakes and for you to suffer. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Then actually having better health outcomes for everybody. So start with always talking about how they can benefit the person themselves, but never forget that a lot of this also is based on the flawed philosophies like the Ayn Randian nonsense libertarian philosophy that we should not take care of the people around us. They're just dragging us down. Literally. So also take that into account as well, that we may not get this in a very long time. Even all the evidence points for us to do so. Even the though, entire rest of the world. I was like, even though the entire rest of the modernized world has the exact thing that we want to have and they have much better health outcomes for it, we won't care because at the end of the day, facts don't matter. Well, and that's the other thing that we really didn't talk about, but look at the statistics. Our life expectancy is lower in the U.S. than yeah. it is in any of these other countries we talk about. It is. So not only do we pay more, we get less out of it. The right. outcomes are worse. But it's because of this idea of individualism and freedom that's just a complete nonsense myth again cult of individualism is a real thing and that's why we are suffering here in america and really for a talking point for the average person if you need to remember one thing about a medicare for all system a single payer system just the amount that you would stand to gain from your employer so tomorrow the government starts paying for health insurance it comes out of our taxes you don't pay your employer doesn't pay Right. Just the difference in salary that your employer now doesn't have to pay in the system that could go to you would pay your taxes to pay for health care. And you would no longer have any premiums, any deductibles, any out-of-pocket costs. Why don't we do it again? Because, well, we hate black people mostly. And because that there are companies that siphon all of the profits off of the extra money that we're paying in our current system, and they can directly pay politicians to not support this bill yep. and this idea. Pretty much. Because that's the system we have. So we got a long way to go, you guys. But I don't know. Anything's <laughs> possible. I don't want to say that in, in today's day and age. Support politicians that support healthcare for all. You, Stop. You know what? I like that a lot better than mine. <laughs> Stop supporting the moderate Democrats that... Well, and call out moderate Democrats. I mean, that's the big thing too, right? Call out moderate Democrats who are spewing nonsense and BS just to play to these types of lobbying groups. Make your voice heard. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the P. Oh no, I messed it up. No!
Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. Is it, it's Kevin McCarthy. Isn't it's it? Kevin. Yeah, I thought you said Mark McCarthy earlier. Like, eh, I hope not. I'll just take Mark out. It's Mark Meadows. Yeah, maybe you didn't. Say, I don't know. Whatever. Then they also talked about Mike McCarthy and specifically a call that Mike McCarthy had with Donald Trump because we live in an individ uh, because we live in an indiv- You know, individualism is a very hard word for me. <laughs>